you know, my father uh, raised uh, five boys, one uh, one girl, and um, and if you would talk to any of the guys that I used to hang around with back then, uh, they will tell you that if you wanted to find Adrian, all you had to do was look down because my dad was an auto mechanic, uh, had me working on cars. Love your dad already. Yeah, had me, <laughs> had me working on cars, changing oil, brake jobs, and so I was always under a car or working on a car in some regard. Uh, you know, when he was uh, uh, in his later years, he he asked me to forgive him because he knew he had been tough. Uh, and I said to him, what are you talking about asking for forgiveness? Are you out of your mind? You know, look look what I am today. I'm a council member. I had, had a great police career. You know, why would you dare think you needed to be forgiven? And he said, you know, because I, I, I know I was hard. And I said, yeah, Dad, but... If you weren't, imagine where I would have been. Imagine where five boys could have ended up uh, in, in, in circumstances. The influencers were out there. I give all the credit to my mom and dad. My dad was a hardworking guy um, and, and had a very, very spiritual way of being. He couldn't recite any verse in the Bible, but the way he lived and handled himself was Reflected really biblical. Bible. Yeah, and uh, I remember people walking up to the to the shop asking for money, and my dad would say, "I don't give money; I give jobs." And so people would start working that day, and then some of them would end up being a guest in our house uh, because he would give uh, a bed and a room uh, to them. And our food. although there were six kids already there, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and then I remember one time we were uh, visiting Mexico. And we were driving alongside the, the mountainside, and there's a guy hitchhiking. And so my dad, without thinking, pulls the, the van over, and we're all like, what the hell are you doing? You know, the, guys could, the guy could be a mass murderer or your dad. <laughs> and so he tells the guy, where are you going? And they talk, and he says, well, I can get you to this place. That's as far as I can take you. He gets in the, in the, in the uh, station, in the, in the van. He tells my mom, make him something to eat. You know, she... she puts the, some food together, and we're, they're talking, and meanwhile, all the boys are looking for weapons, and <laughs> you know, to defend Defense ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so uh, we get to his destination, he lets him out, and then my dad uh, turns around and he looks at us and he says, um, if that were you, would you want me to stop? And so he had a really interesting way of, of, of uh, I mean, making it, biblical ma Samaritan ma again, ma right? ma making yeah. us understand things. So... Those lessons uh, stayed very close to me, impacted me as I began to really understand them. And so a lot of what I do today and a lot of how I try to be today is, uh, is really, you know, uh, a credit to my father. Are they still with us? No. My, my dad passed in 2004. My mom is still with us. She's about to celebrate 100. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, what an and, accomplishment. Yeah, right. God bless and, her. And so, and my mom, you know, she's, you know, look, I always tell people I'm built to work because my dad worked like a mule. My mom was, you know, a housewife. She was a mother, but she was a janitor by night, and she would drive my school bus by day. And then she would figure out anything she could do in, the, in, in between all that to put some money on the table. And so incredible, incredible uh, ethic, uh, work ethic, and an incredible commitment to her family. You know, it sounds like your, your parents are very, uh, I don't know if the right word is typical, right? 
But I think immigrant parents to a certain point, my, my family, immigrant as well, they all worked at a toy factory when they came from Cuba. Mm. And I mean aunts and grandmother and grandfather because you didn't know the language and when you're here you were gonna work and mm. you would work and work and work and work. That's all you did was work yes. and work and work to try to get around, right? Uh, we all lived in a little apartment, you know, uh, two aunts, an uncle, my mom, myself, my grandmother, my grandfather, all, you know, of course I was a baby, but they're all trying to work to survive and my dad's in Cuba paying a price because they wouldn't let him out mm. until a year later. Mm. Your parents have that, you know, you, you can tell that they have that work ethics. Mm -hmm. You work, put something on the table, work, honest work, yep. right? Yep. Honest yep. work, hard yep. labor sometimes, you know, mechanic yep. isn't, isn't an easy job. Do you think that's changed today? Nope. No? Nope. I mean, every single day, families who are, uh, you know, I'll just give you an example. This past weekend, we just recently announced a naturalization initiative that we're doing here in Harris County, something that I helped to champion through uh, our, our process. And, uh, and I'm at an event and the people uh, responsible for cleaning the place are coming up to me going, I saw the announcement on TV, could you please give us information, we want to become citizens. And so I think, there, I think there's that story of our parents is still alive and well. And, uh, and you know, for me, I, I just hope that guys like us who saw it uh, first and, and up close, uh, you know, that, that we don't forget what... Because, uh, because I know that, you know, just a story, right? Let's, let's say that I got in trouble in school. Mm -hmm. My parents, first of all, didn't know English. That's right. And they were not going to question the teacher. That's right. And I would get in trouble at home. It didn't matter what my defense was, right? If the teacher said you did it, you did it, and you better watch out. That's right. You think that's still the same? I think so. I, okay. I, I think so. Um, you know, the you know, I, I think that there is a, a still a significant amount of family pride to not see their kids get into trouble and and, and, and respect, right? And, you and, respect your yeah, elders. You respect authority. And, and, you respect and, and not put to disgrace what the family is doing. You know, another story of my of my family. You know, when my family uh, immigrated to, uh, to the United States, uh, we were on our way to Houston, and uh, my dad crosses the border, uh, and uh, he pulls the station wagon over immediately, tells everybody to get out. My oldest brother was like, you know, is, is the station wagon on fire? And uh, he says, nope, we're gonna get out and pray. And so later on, as I would hear the story all, you know, often, I asked uh, my brother, I go, what was the prayer like? And my brother goes, I don't know, man. It sure sounded like the national anthem. <laughs> and, uh, and the prayer was, you know, thank you, God, for letting us come to this country. We're going to work hard. We're going to play by the rules. And we're going to give this country back everything that she gives us. And so... That's phenomenal. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so I, I, think that, I think that story... Is still giving the opportunity. Yeah. It's still there. People want to work hard. They 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 just want to hand up. Uh, they don't want to hand out, and uh, and they just want to have the opportunity to contribute. So six kids. You're number what? <laughs> number six. You're the last. Yeah. The accident? Yeah, close, close, close. My mother was hoping. There's for, never an accident. Yeah, but you know my what mom I mean. was hoping for another girl, but uh, you know. And here comes Adrian. Yeah. 
All right, so you grow up in a great family, uh, a guy, parents that taught you how to be respectful, work hard. Um, so you graduate from high school. I mean, what do you... How, how, what did you want to do? What was the first thing you did? The, you know, the first thing I wanted to do, well, the first thing I was doing, I was already in business with my dad. Uh, automatic transmissions were the, the up-and-coming thing, and um, I learned how to rebuild them and uh, overhaul them. And so I had a little... Man, that's a whole new world I didn't know about you. Yeah, I had a whole side hustle going, and uh, I was doing jobs at, at, uh, at, at my high school, and so I was, my dad was already, the name of his shop was called Garcia and Son because my oldest brother was in business with him. So he was already painting the apostrophe S. Mm. And, uh, but it was my mom who uh, came to the shop one day to drop off uh, food. And she looked at me and she says, you're not happy. And I said, about what? And she goes, you're not happy. And I said, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sad. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And she goes, no, I don't think this is for you. I think you need to look uh, at what your brother's doing and think about that. The brother she was referring to was Ignacio, who was already a Houston police officer. And so I was like, wow, oh, okay. So How old were you right now at this point? At this point, I'm uh, maybe 18. Okay. Or, Graduated or maybe 19, 19, 19, okay. 19. And so I, I go and apply, and my father did not know that I was applying, and so went through the entire process, and now it is a required family interview by the police recruiter. Uh, so I have to tell my dad that, you know, there's a police officer that needs to talk to you, and he's like, what you do? <laughs> yeah, like, nothing, it's, yeah, I'm applying for the police department. And he's like, what? I said, I wanna be a policeman. And he says, well, tell that person to come over. So they meet and talk. <clears> then <throat> afterwards, my dad uh, looks at me and he says, if you're going to be a cop, I need you to do five things. Don't be ashamed that you're Mexican. Don't be ashamed that your name's Garcia. Don't bring shame to your name. Be honest. But never forget where you come from. He goes, you do that, and things will be good. And uh, so I've tried to do that. All right, so you're 19, you join HPD. How long did you do that? 23 years. 23 years. What were the different levels or ranks that you had within there, divisions that you worked with? So I worked in patrol, which is, man, still the happiest time of my life. You know, you see so much, you meet so many uh, good and interesting people. You get to help a lot of people when you're a beat cop. And so I worked as, uh, as a street officer. Then I became an investigator in the organized crime squad and uh, worked on some very, very interesting cases. Uh, is organized crime a uh, drug or is that financial? Everything. It okay. was... Any it, kind of organization? It, any type of organized crime, yeah. So I, I uh, investigated uh, drug smuggling. I investigated gun running. I investigated uh, thefts from military bases of weapons. I investigated, uh, uh, you know, uh, murder for hires, uh, you know, drug, con drug trafficking conspiracies. Uh, it was it was a pretty interesting. I did a lot of work with the FBI and the DEA, and um, and then I became a community relations officer, and uh, and then I was asked by Mayor Lanier to help start the mayor's anti-gang office, and so I became the liaison to that office.
uh, but it was Mayor Brown uh, who would then appoint me, even at the rank of police officer, he would appoint me as the director of that office. So I went from reporting to my police chief to talking to the police chief at across the table wow. and setting policy. You know, I would say those are God moments, right? Yeah, they are. They are. And, and you know, with the support of Mayor Brown, it would have never happened. And with the respect of, of uh, Chief Bradford at the time, uh, I wouldn't have been successful. And uh, and so you know, those are those are true God moments. So, so you're still, you're a director, but you're still working for HPD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the police chief would sometimes remind me, don't forget who writes you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he did. Yeah. I'm sure he did. <laughs> All right, so you're there 22 years, 23. Then, 23, then what? Then I decided to do something much more dangerous than police work and run for public office. Mm -hmm. uh, so I run for city council, I get elected, I get elected with uh, Mayor Bill White, and, uh, and Mayor White uh, does something uh, unique, and that is that he gives uh, a rookie council member two chairmanships, and so I'm the chair of the Public Safety and Homeland Security Committee, and then I'm the chair of the Minority Women Business Enterprise Committee. And then ultimately, he uh, appoints me as his mayor pro tem. And then I receive a unanimous vote by members of council. And how long did you do that for? So from, from councilman to vice mayor, how long? That was, uh, that was a total of five years because that's when I run for sheriff. So you did, so now we're at 28 years. Adrian, you're older than I think. Don't tell me your age, but I thought you were my age. I mean, I think, I, I'm, I'm younger than you. I guess, I guess not, because I've been in this for 34 years, so I guess not. We're only at, we're only at year 28. All right, so you're at year 28, and you decide to run for sheriff. I run for sheriff, and uh, and it was, you know, I didn't think I would, I could win. Didn't think I would win, but another God moment. I'm on the ballot with a, a young man named Barack Obama, and... Uh, we sweep this county. I become the first Latino sheriff in the history of the county. And, um, and I end up receiving more votes than Barack Obama did. So I'm in the history books as the most voted for. You know, I, I think, and I think it's fair to say, and you probably know this more than me because I'm not in the political world, but I think um, both sides, whether Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, respected you as, as a sheriff. Mm -hmm. I can see yeah. you got more votes because I think you did a phenomenal job, and I think the city remembers you as sheriff. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Yeah, I, get that I, a I lot. really do. You yeah. were very loved as a yeah. sheriff. The city got it. Everybody was in with you. Um, so I can see that. I can see that happening. Yeah. All right. So you win the election. I win the election. I serve uh, two terms as a sheriff. What are the terms? Uh, from 2009 to uh, to 2015. So are the is that there, there, it was four-year terms, uh, but I left early on my second term because I wanted to be the mayor of Houston. Mm -hmm. And so I resigned my position, run, uh, and lose to Sylvester Turner. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just exited. Yeah, he just he <laughs> But wait, uh, before you get to that part, though, you're sheriff, you, sheriff for how many years then? You were six years. Uh, um, yeah, six and a half. Almost, yeah, yeah, six and a half years. What was, what was one of the most exciting? You can remember, go, man, this was just one of the most memorable moments of me being sheriff and what was one of the worst? I guess amongst the many exciting uh, and just memorable moments as sheriff, it was the day that I met uh, Sandeep Daliwal. Before taking office of sheriff, 
a sheriff deputy had um, made it to the home of a Sikh family. And uh, because he did not understand the culture, he ended up handcuffing the entire family because uh, within the Sikh community, one of their religious uh, articles of faith is uh, something called a karpan. And their karpan looks like a dagger, but it's not. And it uh, doesn't have a sharp edge or anything like that, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a religious uh, item that they wear. And he couldn't get them to drop their knives, so he handcuffs them. And so this becomes big news. I go visit the community. Uh, I, I go to one of the one of the temples, <clears throat> and everybody is, you know, number one, demanding that I fire the deputy when I become sheriff uh, for for this egregious act. And I told him I would look into it and find out how it happened, why it happened, and you know whatever needed to be done, we, I would do it. I did not know that Sandeep would be in the crowd. And, and I made a statement of, look, anything I could do, any policies I could write, any training I can do, um, will be good. I'll make sure that it's best in class. But it won't be as good as if you were in the department. So I need you to please encourage your sons and daughters to come work for me. And I leave Sandeep looks to his dad. Sandeep had a, was a very successful businessman, had a, had a six-figure income uh, already. And his father had been a police officer in India. And so he looks at his dad and he goes, Dad, I've always wanted to be a policeman. So he starts off as a detention officer at almost, you know, a fourth of what he was making. And, um, and then I meet him and then we connect the dots and one day I'm in my office and I'm looking through a magazine and I see a military, U.S. military officer, Sikh, uh, member of the Sikh community, in his military uniform, wearing his turban and beard. And I look at it and I said to my staff, I said, if, if the military can do this, why can't we? Mm -hmm. And so I then began to bring people together, my general counsel, we worked to craft a policy, understand all the legal ramifications, and I created the religious accommodation policy. Then I called up Sandeep, and I said, Sandeep, I've created this. I'm not telling you now go wear your turban and your beard. I'm just telling you it'll be available to you. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't want you to do it. I want you to think hard about it. I want you to visit with your family, talk to uh, close advisors, go speak to your your religious leaders and, and get counsel on this. I said, and the reason I say that is because there's a lot of ignorance in our community. You're already a target, you can be a bigger yeah, target. Yeah, you're putting another target on yeah. you. Yeah. And so Sandeep did all that, got the counsel uh, from uh, those uh, important to him, came back and says, I'm ready. And he became the first Sikh uh, full-time deputy in U.S. law enforcement history. Other Sikhs had been involved in law enforcement, but they were either reserve deputies or they were uh, in non-law enforcement roles. And it became international news. A friend of mine was traveling in Canada and was uh, in a cab, and the cab was being driven by a Sikh 
member of the community. And, uh, and he goes, oh, hey, so you're a Sikh. Uh, well, you know, my wife is in Houston and, and they're, they're uh, inaugurating the first Sikh deputy. And he goes, I'm watching it on, on live stream. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the mayor, Mayor Parker at the time, is visiting India at the, at the same time. And she's frustrated because all they want to talk to her about is this Sikh deputy that is uh, happening in Houston. Sandeep ended up losing his life. And, uh, but uh, uh, his courage and his persona, um, there's, I've never met And anybody. for those that are not in Houston, you know, when he lost his life and uh, the city rallied mm-hmm. around his family and that community in an incredible show of love. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and, and sad that that happened, but that also, unfortunately, is also a good moment. Oh, yeah. Because, because the city of Houston, which is known for its love, rallied around one of its own. Because of Sandeep, there is an unprecedented number of Sikhs now practicing their faith but serving our community as law enforcement officers, whether in the Houston Police Department, whether in the Constable's offices, and there's now more within the Sheriff's office. Well, and a, and a, and a man that, with a team, changed the rules um, for better. Yep. For better. Hey, so what's one of the bads? And I know there's, I mean, as we talk about somebody who lost their lives, there's so much bad that could happen. But what is one of those moments where you're just like, man, what did I get myself into? You know, um, having been in law enforcement and growing up in it, you know, you're uh, very little shocked me. Um, and, but I guess the, the things that uh, hurt the most uh, was when a member of the department would uh, violate the public trust. Those were always the most difficult. You know, I'd already unfortunately experienced the homicides and seen the the, the trauma of sexual assaults and horrible car wrecks and things of that nature. Uh, but I could never get over uh, when someone would taint the badge and uh, just um, create more distrust than we already had as a result of one person's actions who would ultimately indict an entire department. Uh, those were always the hardest because they were always preventable uh, avoidable, and uh, and no one uh, could be mistaken and so, that and they so wouldn't, hard, know, and that so they wouldn't hard, know any different. Right, and so hard to regain. It takes so long to regain that yeah. trust. Right, in the dealership world, in the automotive world, if you lose a customer, uh, the last survey I saw, it takes $10,000 to gain that customer back, right? Mm-hmm. So you lost a customer for whatever, $500, or you need to change a wheel. It's going to cost you $10,000 in advertising. Just to get that one back. To get a to get that one back, yeah. I, I, you know the damage is so hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, with all the craziness that has gone on in the past few years, um, I, I, you know, if you don't want to answer, it's okay. But do you think that people have lost a little respect for police officers? Uh, no, it's yeah. You know, look, uh, enrollment into volunteer service into all branches of the military is down unprecedented and under at an unprecedented level. Uh, the Army is uh, working hard to, uh, to you know, build community relations to encourage enrollment. We're having a hard time recruiting uh, folks today. 
within the sheriff's office and all uh, all uh, law enforcement departments in the region. Um, it it you know so I, so when you see the military struggling as much as law enforcement to find those people to come over, it's hard to figure out exactly what it is. Uh, but when you have uh, cases like George Floyd that you know really get the attention of an entire nation, if not uh, a world of something that people had been saying all along, and then finally you see it live and in color. There was the Rodney King situation that happened in California. Uh, one of the first times ever captured, that kind of uh, beating ever captured on, on, on camera. Um, those things accumulate, and, and, it, and then it creates a conversation where we as law enforcement leaders are saying, it's that person or it's those five guys uh, don't distrust everybody else. It's the one percent. But yeah, but it, it is in, in spite of that, uh, you know, that that, you know, conversation that we try to set. Uh, those singular incidents do affect us all. And uh, and it and it's it's hard to recover from that. Um, you know, I. I you know, I, I used to have a pastoral advisory and I would bring my toughest situations to them to help me think through them and, and figure out how to- Pastoral being pastors? Yeah, yeah. how to figure out how to, how to communicate it and share it with the, with the community, how to resolve it, how, you know, how to fix it, uh, what, are, what are the steps going forward. Uh, that was a, uh, you know, I, I, I did it for the sake of building relationships but it was also very uh, foresightful in that they were very, very helpful in giving me perspectives to the things that I uh, wasn't thinking about and, uh, and were very helpful in, in helping me move the organization forward because the department I inherited uh, had a horrible, horrible community re uh, reputation. And so I you know, would always tell the guys and, and gals in the department, you know, when people see a sheriff's deputy patrol car in the rearview mirror, I want them not to shudder in fear, but to you know feel confident and protected. And that was always uh, the message that I would be putting in front of my folks. And so, uh, working to reform that organization uh, was was uh, you know a, a, a big passion of mine. I think we made a lot of strides, uh, but even with all the work that I did, uh, and there was. You know, I, I held people accountable, worked to bring in the, the best training. I worked hard to diversify the organization. I worked hard to build uh, diverse uh, relationships with diverse communities. And we had great success. And I think I moved the department forward. But then when George Floyd happened, I'm not the sheriff anymore. Uh, we have a great sheriff today, but it set back everything. It literally erased everything I've done it just those incidents re remind people of when things were much more abrasive and blatant uh, as they were in the uh, in the early days of Houston, and uh, and so now we have to dig ourselves out of that hole. And so, um, you think so, we're so, so, so I th oh yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt. And I and I think that the the you know we're, we've learned how to leverage social media. Um, something that was, I, I created the first, you know, Twitter account for the, for the sheriff's <laughs> office. 
And my staff was like, oh, no, Sheriff, don't do that because you got to feed the beast. Right, right, and, right. Uh, and yeah. I said, well, then we feed the beast. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't understand it, but I think it's good for it us to be out there. It is, yeah. And so, uh, so I think we made a lot of strides. But it is that's why the, the actions, uh, the misactions, uh, the, the, uh, the inappropriateness of, of one or two in a department, uh, always hurts the most because you you know where your value One system is at and you know the many, many good people that are in the department. It just takes one. But to your point about parenting, man, you know, I had a tough daddy who thought he was too tough. And uh, so I, I don't know that answer. I, I, I'm a daddy today and I You think was, you were too tough? I, no, I think I was too lenient. Uh, and, well, my uh, wife will tell you that she was a tough one. And your yeah, wife probably says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, you, yeah. you know, that, you know, that, you know, I was the, I'm the, I, have a, I have a daughter, so I'm, I'm a wimp, you know. And, uh, and I would always say, look, I'm, I'm out, I'm traveling, I'm doing things. I'm not going to come home and be this trick one. I got to come home and say, okay, we're going to throw a pizza party. Yeah, we're gonna do this. yeah, yeah. You're going to be the fun guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the fun parent, <laughs> you know. But nonetheless, we always taught respect and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think the world is busy too, right? I mean, I think, I think people are busy. Yeah. And, and I would also add that one thing that my wife and I did think about, we only had one TV in the house. And we were very intentional about that uh, because I didn't want us having TVs all over the place. Everybody in their own place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. Little things matter. Yeah, I, Little intentional yeah. things matter. Today would be, TV, you know, iPad, iPhone, that kind of a control. Yeah. All right. So you're sheriff, you resign because you want to be mayor. How did that go? Didn't go so well. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but look, you know, I, I, I will tell folks, and, you know, as when people come to me and say, I want to run for office, I always tell them, well, you first got to begin with the reality that you can lose. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you don't have that, under, an understanding of that, don't get into this thing because if you do, if you don't think you can lose, it can hurt really, really bad. I bet. And so, um, uh, and, and, and I will say that uh, I think it's always important for everybody to appreciate a little humility. I, I think it helps to make you a better person. And if you end up back in elected office, I think it helps to uh, sharpen your perspective on, on uh, how to work with the community. And so, although I didn't win, I, I did win in, uh, in other regards because I tell you what, I was very humbled with the number of people who made me feel important when I was in office, but treated me with the exact same dignity and respect when I was out of office. I some, think, some will say you learn more when you fail. That's right. That's right. But, right? You, but you learn more. You, you learn really, more when you, really you fail, do. right? You really do. The scars hurt. You, know, you get a little yeah. bit of uh, war wounds yeah. and you kind of go, okay. Yep. All right. So you, you, you don't win that um, office. What's next? Then I, you know, uh, the, I get caught in a conversation about running for county commissioner. And I said, you know, I, I looked at it and I began to understand this about precinct two. Correct me if I'm Four precincts? Correct. Correct. Okay, so Harris County, Harris county. second largest county in the U.S.? Third largest in the U.S. Third largest county in the U.S. And basically we have a, uh, a judge, it, county, it, county it, judge that is like a mayor. It, uh, no. No? Uh, county judge is more like a... Uh, is the chair of the board. But for the county. For the county. Right? Yeah. So she has 
power over the county, or he has power over the county, and, the and, and can make some rules that oversee the, the mayors. No? No. Really? No. Uh, our exclusive power comes from the state. Okay. So whatever power we have, we get it from the state. Uh, but we cannot, I have 14 cities, as a consequence, 14 mayors in my precinct. I cannot tell them anything. Uh, of what to do. Okay, but wait a minute. So let me. So I, I don't. This, I is new, this is new to me, I, and I, I don't think most people know this. I, there, a lot of people don't know how yeah. county government works. Right, because they all think so. And I'm just going to use 2020 as the closest example. Yeah. The mayor of Houston says you can walk around without mask, and the and the county judge says you cannot. Who wins? The they both win, assuming they both think they're right. <laughs> yeah. uh, because we, you know, we cannot, the city has what you call ordinance making power. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow the mayor can say, I'm gonna make an ordinance requiring masks. Um, and there'll be a criminal consequence or financial mm -hmm. consequence to that. Uh, we have to go to the state legislature. And ask for that permission. And ask for that, 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 that uh, Adrian, that I power. am telling you, uh, there be people out there know that the majority don't know that. It, we can. But do you agree with that statement? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And look, prior to the change of power of of uh, of Harris County, very few people ever saw Harris County. If you would have turned on the TV, you would think that the city of Houston is Harris County. Correct. Agreed. And, Agreed. and uh, because you just did not see the elected officials. Uh, you didn't see the work of the county for the most part. You probably may have only understood it in terms of either the tow road or the flood control district. And if you knew that the county jail uh, belonged to a sheriff or to the or to Harris County, then you'd understand that connection. Uh, the uh, the the Ben Taub and LBJ uh, people would see them as public hospitals, mm -hmm. but they belong to the county. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so beyond that, very few people had would ever see their county government uh, at, at at work. Yeah, I, I mean it's great, great education, man. Yeah. <laughs> something something new we learned. Yeah. All right, so you you decide somebody's talking to you about being commissioner. You look to precinct two, and you decide to. I, I decided it's a it's a good race to to run. Uh, you know, and it and there was things that I could I felt I could sink my teeth into. And that were close to the things that I cared about, and uh, and those things were that Precinct Two uh, has a million three hundred thousand people in it today, and uh, yet we have the lowest medium income of all of Harris County. Uh, we have the lowest homeownership rate of all of Harris County. Hmm. We have the lowest educational attainment rate at the high school and post high school level. We have the highest number of children and families without health insurance. And I have the highest rates of cancer, not in the county, but in the state. Really? And I own the mortality rate by 20 years. People live 20 years less longer in Precinct 2 than they do in other parts of the county. So when I saw that and Those I saw... astonishing though. Yeah, stats. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And when I look at... And, and so when I, as I understood that, and then I looked to see what the current leadership was doing, I got motivated. I said, you know, this office is, uh, the, the nice thing about being a county commissioner is that the role is almost self-defining, meaning that today I have a environmental policy advisor, I have a health services division, 
I have a workforce uh, division, I have a, uh, a uh, educational initiative, none of which existed before I got here. And so I came in to impact those indexes and, uh, and make the quality of life for the people who live in Precinct 2, which happened to be 62% Hispanic. Uh, I wanted to make it better. And, uh, and so I'm very, very humble, you know, just uh, we're starting year five here and or now uh, year six. And, uh, and as I look back at uh, what our work has involved, uh, I've created the first inclusive park, which means that children and adults of all abilities or special abilities uh, have a park that they can call home. Physical therapists now use it as a matter of their treatment of their patients. It's, it's received state and national awards. We're graduating uh, people through our workforce division uh, initiatives into uh, being certified Adobe web design uh, individuals, uh, certified administrative medical assistance, certified uh, administrative legal assistance, uh, and now they're gonna be able to command better paying jobs. Um, we're dealing with environmental issues that unfortunately have plagued uh, the precinct. Um, we're, we're you know, investing in the infrastructure. I, I have a number that I'm proud of and, 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 and it's growing every day. Since 2019, we have invested $665 million in some form or another, whether through uh, the flood control district, through the toll road, through general fund, into precinct two projects, uh, whether it be human capital projects or uh, community capital improvement projects. And, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to celebrating a billion. Uh, and so, you know, we, today we were meeting in this room uh, how to build a, uh, a veterans park that will be second to none. Uh, a park I helped to create when I was on city council. Uh, the city did very little with it, so Mayor Turner uh, has let me manage it. And I'm about to pump uh, $15 million into it to make it a state of, uh, a state of art uh, type of veterans memorial project. It's gonna come with, I hope uh, in the near future, veterans housing. Uh, which all was a vision of the Vietnam veterans who I met with and would sit with uh, in 2004 who were demanding this type of respect. And so I have boots in my office from Richard Pettis, who was the lead uh, commando, if you will, uh, uh, you know, working on that project. And since I still remember all this, all these veterans unfortunately have since passed, but I still remember. And that's what I tell folks uh, that we met in this room. I remember what they wanted, and I'm going to work hard. It's still in your heart. Yeah, I'm going to work hard to deliver it. You're starting now your sixth year yeah, as correct. commissioner? Yeah. What's next for Adrian? You know, I, I, I love this job uh, because, you know. You're not going to tell me, are you? I, I, you know, no, no, look, I, I'm telling you, look, I'm, I'm ambitious. Uh, and, and I will tell you a quick story. My wife, before we married, I think she was... Uh, she was measuring me and she interviews me. She calls me up. We're not boyfriend or girlfriend or anything. And she just calls me out of the blue and says, hey, uh, I'm doing a paper for school. It's called Men and Life Decisions. And uh, I want to say if you wouldn't mind let me, letting me interview you. Uh, You're in HPD at this point? I'm in, I'm in HPD. 
And so she goes, I've interviewed my brother. That's the line she used? Yeah, man. Oh, she's slick, man. I man. can't she's wait till I go out to dinner with her again. So, so uh, <laughs> the long story short, so she asked me all these questions. Years later, we're married and we're cleaning out the garage. And she finds the paper. I had completely forgotten about all this. And she goes, oh, look at this. And so I read this paper. And there's something that's written in the margin. But if you were to read that paper, it's literally a blueprint for where I'm at today. I said I wanted uh, to retire from the Houston Police Department commanding at least 300 officers, uh, that I would run for political office uh, one day. Uh, but the one thing that was written in the margin that she didn't write into the text was that maybe I will end my career as governor of the state of Texas. So I don't know if that's real or not. But, you know, I did not know I was following a blueprint. So you have to give us an interview if that ever happens. Well, you, you, you know, <laughs> we'll invite you to the governor's mansion, man. <laughs> Brother, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. I thank you for everything you've done. Thank Likewise, you for your service. Likewise, and all, all continued success. You, and, you're a and great, great you guy, a man of character. You know, we love you. Thank you. Likewise. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wheels, Deals, and Meals, your main source for all things good and fun, business, food, and cars. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us and subscribe. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please leave a message at the link below. Till next time, happy eating.